0: Psalm 12, and we'll commence at verse 1, and we'll read uh, the whole uh, psalm. To the chief musician upon Shemineth, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fall, fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbour. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips. And the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor. For the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Amen. May the Lord bless. Reading off his precious and infallible and inerrant truth tonight. The 12th psalm is entitled as a psalm of David. And as we noted previously, this word uh, shemineth is believed to have been an eight stringed instrument or a term used to uh, describe some kind of note. And Matthew Henry spoke of David in his psalm and he said it is supposed that David penned this psalm in Saul's reign. When there was a general decay of honesty and piety, piety being godliness, both in court and country. And this psalm deals with the very timely issue of the ungodly attacking the people of God. This is something David experienced and something that is prevalent in our generation and something that has been prevalent already in the Psalms that we have read together. It was Henry Law who said, Fearing that the godly cease and the ungodly vaunt, prayer is made and confidence is professed in God's pure word. Supported by such comfort may we never fear. Matthew Henry said that this Psalm furnishes us with good thoughts for bad times and how do we need that today we live in a land in a generation that hates the god of heaven generation that has no time for the gospel of the lord jesus christ and when we think of that and we can think of this area the greater vancouver area i was looking at some statistics earlier i was writing a report for a christian school in northern ireland a few prayer requests and I gave a little information about this area. And I think in the Greater Vancouver area, there's around 2.6 million people. And 33% of those identify as Christian. Now that Christian would be Orthodox, it would be Catholic, it would be Protestant. Uh, Protestants uh, would make up 7% of the population of 2.6 million. And of course, within Protestantism, there's a lot of views and a lot of Different uh, types and positions regarding Christianity and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but a little 7% regarding Protestantism. And when we think of that, we live in a land and in an area then that is in the majority anti Christian. How do we live? How do we? Gain strength and receive comfort. It is through the word of God and through looking to him and having strength from him. And so as we consider this psalm tonight, I want us to look at three particular thoughts in this psalm. Firstly, I want you to see that the unrighteous are vicious towards the Lord's people. The unrighteous are vicious towards The Lord's people. And of course, we see here our comfort in the Lord preserving his people. And that's the title for this evening. But the first point, the unrighteous are vicious towards the Lord's people. And you might think, well, that's very negative. And we're coming to consider the comfort in the Lord. And we're right down into the depths of negativity and things that will depress us. And of course, that is true. There are things here that are discouraging to us, but things we experience, things we will experience. And we want to see how the wicked act toward the people of God. How they acted toward David in particular. And then we'll come and consider the positive things. But we see that this psalm is similar to what we've dealt with before. Verses 2 to 4 deal with the actions of men. And we find they speak vanity, empty things, everyone with his neighbour. There's flattering lips, there's a double heart. The psalmist in verse 5 refers to... Uh, Those who puffeth at God. The enemy who puffs at the people of God. And the Hebrew word here indicates to blow with breath. To kindle like a fire. Or to bring into a snare. Meanings that resonate with us when we consider the actions of the wicked against the flock of God. Uh, Verse 8 summarizes what the wicked do to the flock of God. The wicked walk on every side. When the vilest men are exalted. The wicked are on every side of those who are poor and oppressed. And they are the vicious, most vicious and vilest men in the world. Notice here their stand. It is a stand against the authority of God. Verse 4. Who have said with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips they say are our own. Who is Lord over us? Who is Lord over us? Over us. They're asking. Who is the rule over us? Who is the power to restrain us? Who is in control of us? And the wicked treat themselves here. As gods that are. Self sufficient. And independent of any. External authority or power. They denounce the idea. There is a God in heaven. Uh, They formulate their plans. They seek to bring their desires. To fruition. Without any acknowledgement of God. And we can think of that in the book of James. Consider the world that we live in. We have man's purposes and man's plans and man's laws that are continually set against the authority of God and the truth of God. And that is the default position of the ungodly. They are against God. We cannot expect anything else from hearts that are depraved and lives that are dead and trespasses and sins. They claim their lips as their own and they reject the dominion of God. And we see that in this world. The authority of God is cast aside. It's cast aside and it should grieve us as believers that this world marches against the God of heaven. And stands against the God of heaven and sins against the authority of God. It is also a stand that is against the people of God. And David certainly experienced the rage of the wicked. And in this psalm, he's concerned about the decreasing of the people of God. And the increasing of those who are against the Lord. Satan will fire arrow after arrow after the Lord's people. But we can be encouraged by what was said to the apostle. Acts 9 verse 5. I am Jesus, the Savior said to Saul of Tarshish. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And there's an encouragement thing. An encouraging thing found in that verse. Saul had not literally laid hands on the Saviour. He had not pushed the nails into his hand. He hadn't taken him up to the cross. He wasn't there. As far as the scriptural record goes, Saul was not involved. His name was not mentioned until the book of Acts. But yet the Saviour said, you're persecuting me. Saul had laid his hand upon the people of God. And as a result, it was not a persecution just against this people. It was a persecution against Christ. Dear believer, when we're persecuted, when we're mocked and scorned because of who we are, we're being persecuted for Christ's sake. It is not us that they are raging against. It is the God of heaven. It is our saviour, saviour who sees that persecution, the saviour who, in Paul's case, saved the persecutor and redeemed the persecutor. And as we've said before, when we consider our series in Timothy, uh, the great wonder of how Paul was saved and converted, such a wicked man, persecuting the church, but redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And the Lord Jesus knew what Saul had done. He had not ignored it. He had not neglected it. He forgave that sin and saved Saul. But he knew what was going on. And he was gloriously converted. But many others will be judged for their sin. But the Lord's eyes are always on his people. He sees. He sees the hard times. He sees the persecution that we face. But then notice the speech. The speech of those who are vicious and vile. They speak vanity. Verse 2. They speak vanity everyone. And the word of God teaches here. That the ungodly speak things that are useless or desolating and that is the meaning of the original hebrew word translated here as vanity i could talk for the next 20 minutes on cars and on ford mustangs and we could have a great discussion about the mustang maybe you'll want to change the conversation about a mustang to something else i don't know Uh, but we could talk about mustangs And enjoy that conversation and leave. But what has happened? In reality, our speech has been vanity. It's been pointless. We're here to discuss and speak and pray about spiritual matters. And we're talking about a car that will one day pass away. And we're speaking vanity. If we dwell on that subject and we spend time discussing that subject, it's vanity. It's a waste of time compared to the duty that we have here. And these people, they're speaking vanity, things that are useless, things that are pointless, things that are lies. There's no sincerity. There's no honesty. And of course, when we think of this, the people of God are not to speak vanity. We're to speak things that have purpose. And when it comes to the gospel of Christ, there's nothing else in this world we could say that has uh, such a great and glorious purpose for us than the gospel of Christ. And we're to speak that gospel. We're to live out that gospel. John Gill, the preacher and commentator, said, That which is false and a lie, either in doctrine or practical, but was not according to the word of God, and was empty and vain and filthy and frothy and corrupt, and which no godly and faithful man would do. And so we see something we'll come to in a moment The actions of these individuals are against what the people of God should be doing. There's a lesson for us. What we're saying here is the negative. It is the opposite to how we are to behave as the people of God. They speak with flattering lips. Men draw nigh with their lips, but their hearts are full of deceit. There's a double heart here as well. There's double-mindedness. There's no faithfulness within them. And that again is the opposite to what the people of God must be. We have a single heart, a heart that is inclined toward the saviour. And therefore that must affect our lives. They speak with pride. They have a conceited opinion of themselves. And there are those that are filled with their own importance and their own ego. They do not care who they will trample over if it will further their power and their position. An ungodly man never sees himself as God sees him. Man has a lofty opinion, but God sees him as a hell deserving sinner. The gospel strips away our pride, strips away our ego, and points us humbly to the Lamb of God who saves us. And so the enemy was active here, and the enemy is acting in such a way that God's people should look at and learn we should not act like this. This is the way of the world. This is the way of the ungodly. We have a focused heart. We have a heart that is fixed. We have a tongue. We have lips that they may be part of our body, but our lips belong to the Lord. Let us sing his praises. Let us preach his word. Let us rejoice in him. We are to be the opposite of these individuals. But secondly, I want you to see that the Lord's people will be victorious. The Lord's people will be victorious. And what a comfort that is to us. And the psalmist here, despite the increasing of the wicked, he is his eye upon the Lord. He knows the Lord and his people will be victorious. And the Lord hears the cries of his people. The psalmist cries, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fall from among the children of men. He understands his danger. He cries with clarity unto the Lord. It's a simple prayer. It's a clear prayer. It's a... Sufficient prayer. Sufficient prayer. It is a cry for the Lord to send divine aid to his servant because he was surrounded by the foe. And David's cry concerned the numerical decline of godly men. Having the fear of God denotes a godly man. And the lack of such men has serious consequences for the nation. And we can see that in history. A lack of piety, a lack of godliness, a lack of God-fearing men. And we see the mess that the nation is in. We also see the mess that many churches are in and have been in over the years because there's a lack of fearing God. Yes, there may be faith. Yes, there may be a gospel preached, but there's a lack of fear of God. A lack of godly fear that makes the difference. God hears the cries of his people. And this is seen in verse 5. Because who speaks? God speaks. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The Lord heard the cry of his people. And dear believer, in our times of trouble, God hears us. He hears our cry. He hears the prayers of our hearts. Those prayers may be internal. And they may be quiet and silent. And no one in this room may hear your prayers. But God hears your cries. God keeps his promises as well. Verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. A silver tried in a furnace of fire. Furnace of earth purified seven times. The Lord's words are pure words, perfect words. What does that imply? He keeps his promises. Words that are free from human deceit. Words that are true. Words that are ever fulfilled. We can rest. And depend upon the Lord. If he says I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. That's a perfect word. That's a true word. God moves in his time as well. Verse 5. For the oppression of the poor. For the sign of the needy. Now will I arise. Saith the Lord. It's an answer to the psalmist's humble petition. Notice the Lord allowed the wicked to have this control. And behave in this way. The Lord moved in his time. And as believers, we must always remember that. Sometimes we think a certain time is the best time. The best time for God to move. The best time for God to give us comfort and health. But God has his perfect time. Christ came into this world when the fullness of time was come. In God's perfect time. Let us remember that. Let us rest upon the perfect time of God and God will preserve his people verse 7 thou shalt keep them O Lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever what a comforting message that is uh, that reminds us of the goodness of the Lord that reminds us of the grace of the Lord that reminds us of the help of the Lord God will keep the poor and needy he will keep them Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted, but the Lord keeps his people. Henry Law said the church has lived through every age and it still lives. There have been times when signs of life were very feeble. The quivering spark has seemed almost extinct, but God's power has not deserted them. They've been kept by his mighty power through faith unto eternal life. and Safely they will be preserved until they stand to gather a countless multitude in Emmanuel's land. What a reminder this psalm is. What a reminder it is to us of how the Lord is our comfort. How the Lord preserves his people. We can wonder and look to the future. We can think what will happen what is God's plan how will this work out for me what about the enemy that is raging and increasing and growing in vileness and viciousness against me and against the people of God against the church and against our Christ what shall we do well this is a psalm of David what did David do what is he famous for if you say psalms you're right but there's something else. He killed a giant. He stood against the man that blasphemed the name of God, stood against the people of God. And there's something of note there. Young David, a youth, not a soldier, not a fighter, not trained in military combat, was the only man in the camp of Israel, out of the armies of Israel, and he wasn't part of that. He was a visitor. He went. And stood against Goliath. Did he do that out of ego or pride? No, he had faith. He looked to God. He said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause for me to stand? And that's a reminder to us. There is a cause for us. A cause for us to stand. To stand for Christ. To stand for his word. Though the world persecute us. And persecute the church. There's a cause for us. To raise high the banner of Christ, as there was for David to stand against Goliath. But David rested on a few things. He had faith in God. And he looked to the bear, he looked to the lion that he had killed already, protecting his flock of animals, his flock of sheep. And God was with him, and God helped him through the previous trials. And now the big trial had come in the form of Goliath and he knew his God would not fail him. And as we look at the church tonight, as we look at ourselves, has God not blessed us and helped us in the past? Does that not encourage us for the future? As the church of Christ, we look at churches that have been persecuted and endured suffering and hardship and difficulty. Does that not encourage us that God has been with them and God has helped them and preserved them? We think of what the Reformers feast. We think of what many in Scotland feast. Some years ago, I went uh, to a place where they had a conventicle in Scotland. Whenever the authorities were chasing them, they went out into the, into the Scottish wilderness and met together and, and worshipped God and had a service together. And as they did that, they were worried about the authorities coming. But they determined to meet with God. and God was with them. I went to that place. It wasn't too far from a the road. There was a little hike. Uh, but 350 years ago. That road would not have been there. So they had quite a way to travel. Quite a way to walk. Going and meeting with God. Because that came first. In the midst of persecution. They determined to meet with God. What about us tonight? Do we have that desire when we look at how God helped them and how God blessed them? Does that not encourage us that when we face hardship and trial and difficulty? Does that not encourage us to keep going through with God, to keep our eyes upon Him, to rejoice in a psalm such as this? Because though the wicked seem to prosper, seem to prosper. It is the people of God who will prosper. For the Lord is on our side. We are on his side. He is our God. He is our saviour. And he shall keep them. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. May the Lord bless his word. May the Lord undertake for us. And give us encouragement and help. As we seek to stand for him. Regardless of what we may face. May the Lord bless his word tonight. For his name's seek, amen, amen.